The following is a message by Dr. Michael Horton of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Our text comes from John, chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This is a very interesting uh, episode, unlike the synoptic gospels uh, here, uh, we're not quite sure where the Lord's Supper is happening, uh, is being instituted uh, in here. It's sandwiched in between that upper room discourse, between the triumphal entry uh, and the farewell discourse. Uh, Beasley Murray has has, uh, called it an enacted parable. Uh, Jesus is not here simply telling a parable, he is enacting a parable. What is taking place here is actually about to take place in his own life. And what's interesting from the the beginning is uh, the verbs that he uses uses here, John uses here for, uh, for even Jesus getting dressed for this performance. Uh, It's not the usual uh, verb for took off, it's Tithame, laid down, uh, and lambano, take up, which of course is the same uh, formula that you have in chapter 10, uh, where Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, 
I lay it down. I have this authority that the Father gave me to lay it down and to take it back up again. And so now that's happening in an enacted way in this parable by him taking off, or rather laying down his garment and taking up his service towel for his disciples. And already the stage is being set. There's a mention of the hour. Of course, you know in John's gospel, the hour is always looking forward to that moment of the crucifixion. He is speaking of departing to the Father, and everything that he's going to say throughout the farewell discourse is preparing them for that. And John tells us, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Beautiful language. Jesus knew what was in Judas's heart to do. John tells us, first of all, Judas had already succumbed in his heart uh, to Satan's temptation, we, we see in verse 2. And what's striking here is that even though Jesus knows what's in Judas's heart and he knows what Judas will do, he even includes the betrayer among those whose feet he washes. I don't think this is an argument for universal atonement. It's an argument rather for the mixed assembly that the visible church is. Even now, though, Jesus says, I know whom I have chosen. And so everyone's feet is washed except for Judas. That foot washing brings further hardening. Jesus also knew what was in the Father's heart to do. It's interesting, he says uh, in, in verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, washed the disciples' feet. <laughs> That's kind of odd, isn't it? He knew he was God. He came from God. He's going back to God, fully aware of his divinity in this moment. He takes the form of a servant, puts a towel around his waist, and washes his disciples' feet. Not even slaves, Hebrew slaves, were to be required to wash the feet of their Jewish masters. And Jesus here is not simply enacting this because he is human. Uh, John is saying precisely because he is God, he is serving his people. It's one of the attributes of God, humility, condescension. God is the type of God who stoops. Not just because Jesus is human, but even because he is God, he does this. This is God's heart toward his people. This is how divine power contrasts sharply with sinful power. Jesus is not powerless. He's made that point, especially as I mentioned in chapter 10. No one takes my life from me. Uh, I'm not a victim, a passive victim in this. I lay down my life, and I have the authority to take it back up again. What he's doing is inserting a new kind of power, not powerlessness. Christ Christianity isn't a recipe for powerlessness, it inserts a new kind of power into the matrix of the principalities and powers of this passing evil age. It's, a, it's an amazing power. God is the king who serves. The king on a cross, as, as Calvin said, there is no greater, more beautiful throne in any palace 
than that Roman gibbet on which Jesus was crucified. The king on a cross, that's the... It's not a sign of powerlessness. It is the sign of the greatest power that the world has ever seen, the power of love and forgiveness. So here he is, left with nothing but a long undershirt with a linen towel for washing wrapped around his waist. And the one who has the whole world in his hands now takes the hands of his dirty feet disciples and washes them. Jesus reminds us, as Luke tells us in Luke 12, happy are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. He will tie a cloth around himself and have them sit at table, and he will come and serve them. Or chapter 22, verse 27, for which is the greater, the one who sits at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who sits at table? But I'm among you as the one who serves. Jesus is turning the tables here on what real power means. And then finally, Jesus knew what was in Peter's heart to do. Lord, do you wash my feet? Peter is, I'm so glad he's a character in this story because I identify with him so much. You know, going off half-cocked, not thinking about what he's doing. Jesus says, you'll understand later, but, but Peter... Peter thinks he understands now already, instead of trusting Jesus on the point and saying, okay, I I trust that we'll get it later. Wash my feet. I I don't know what this means, but I will later. Peter says with dogmatic self-assurance, you will never wash my feet. The teacher and Lord will never stoop to be my servant. Maybe some of the others here don't reverence you as much as I. Maybe they'll let you do that to them, but not I. You will never wash my feet. I will serve you my whole life. Without flinching, I will defend you all the way to your throne. But you will not serve me. It's really pride masquerading as reverence. He's already chastened Jesus three times for bringing up the crucifixion. (laughs) Would you stop all that negative talk? Matthew 16, Peter rebukes him for uh, bringing it up the second time. Uh, And and he's, the response of Jesus at that moment with Peter is, Get thee behind me, Satan. For your thoughts are not the thoughts of God, but the thoughts of men. You're human-centered. You don't see what God is doing in history through me and my ministry. James and John, you'll remember in that same episode, came to him and said, Lord, we want you to do whatever we ask. They were, they were sort of uh, prosperity evangelists. Uh, they were naming it and claiming it. Saying, what, just you know, whatever, do whatever we ask. Isn't that amazingly arrogant? Do whatever we ask. And Jesus, you could almost see him grinning. I don't speculation, but it kind of... Okay, what do you want? So, well, we like we 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 really like to sort of sit one on your right and one on the left on the platform, the Diaz, when you when you take the throne. Are you are you up for this? Can you really handle this? Oh yeah. Oh, it's going to be. I know late nights. It's going to be hard. It's 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 hard on the campaign trail. We we get that. That's fine. We're we're up for it. And Jesus is thinking, 
One crucified on one side of me, one crucified on the other side of me. Mercifully, Jesus didn't give them what they wanted. I don't think that Peter, though, is jockeying for power the way James and John were in that episode. I don't think Peter's jockeying for the role of top ruler, despite what Rome might say. Uh, It's not top ruler he wants, it's top servant. He wants to be recognized as Jesus' bodyguard, as the one who is most devoted to Jesus. He's Captain America for Jesus. You think about what he does there in the, uh, in the garden, you know, cutting off the soldier's ear. And so what really happens here is Peter has a habit of clumsily taking over Jesus' solo. Whenever Jesus has a solo, Peter kind of comes in as the clumsy guy and takes the spotlight from Jesus. And that's precisely what he's doing here, isn't he? It's no longer about Jesus serving. It's about Peter's reverence. He's refusing to be served by Jesus out of a mistaken zeal and, in fact, a self-righteousness. If you don't allow yourself to be washed by me, Jesus says. Notice he doesn't say, if you don't, if you don't uh, uh, wash the other disciples' feet as I'm washing your feet. Here he's saying, if you don't let me wash you, you have no part of me. If you don't come to me as one who is needy and receive my service to you, you can only talk about your service for me, you can't receive my service for you, then you're too proud to be washed. It's interesting, too, Maros in the Septuagint uh, translates Helek, which especially in Joshua is a share, an inheritance of the tribes in Israel. And that's precisely what Jesus says to Peter. If you don't let me wash you, you have no share In the inheritance, no share in me, because he is now Israel. And so a share with him is once again evoking that picture of the supper, the table, sitting around the table in fellowship, eating and drinking with the Lord, which is really the whole goal of the everlasting Sabbath. Remember what Jesus tells the the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Judas will not be with me, he says, but you will be with me. As usual, Peter misses the forest for the trees. He just can't see through the sign of what Jesus is doing to the reality. He's just not getting the parable. Then Lord not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. So now he shifts from, you're never going to wash my little finger, to give me a bath. That's not what Jesus said. Reckless zeal. We're all capable of reckless zeal, zeal without knowledge. But again, Peter's taking over the episode, making it about his zeal, this time wash my whole body. He wants to do something more than what Jesus has actually said belongs to his service. The basic problem here is that Peter wasn't broken yet. 
But as Jesus says at the end of this very passage, he would be. Jesus knew what was in Peter's heart, and he knew what Peter would do. And that's why it would have been best if Peter had just let him do it and heard Jesus really say, you will understand this later. You can't understand it now, but you will understand when the event of which this is the sign is fulfilled. A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. They're all clean, 100% clean. Uh, no sin unatoned for. And yet, there is one who is not among his elect. It will say later in chapter 15, you're clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So it's anticipating, resting on the work that he is about to complete. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. So now Jesus has made his point. He's put his outer garments back on, takes his seat again at the table at supper with his disciples, and he says, do you understand what I have just done to you? Oh, remarkable way of putting it. What I have just done to you or for you. That first and foremost, what this is about is what I'm doing for you at Calvary. And then he asks, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So two things have happened here. First of all, do you understand what I have done for you? Not that this is a, an object lesson for your foot washing. But first of all, do you understand that this is pointing to my death for you? Not your service for me or for others. But now, if you do understand that, don't imagine that the servant is greater than the master. If it's not too big for me to give my life for my friends, if it's not too big for me, God incarnate, to put a towel around my waist and wash your feet, who do you think you are? A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Wow. Uh, this episode is so pregnant when you think of everything else that happens uh, after this uh, foot washing in Peter's life in particular. And let me close with a wonderful expression of just how Peter did come to understand this after it all happened. Writing in 1 Peter 1, chapter 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, to a share, that is imperishable, undefiled, and fading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, 
though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, of course he had, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for serving us and sending your son in that service to be the Lord who is servant, the one who expresses not only in his humanity, but but in his deity, your heart for sinful people. Father, we uh, recognize ourselves in all of the actors in this drama. And yet, Father, uh, we are joyful, filled with joy inexpressible, as the audience to which Peter wrote when he did understand these things by your Holy Spirit. Help us to understand them more and more. Help us to remain within the confines of your word, what you promise, what you give to us, what you teach us. And help us, Father, as a result, to be willing to be servants of each other. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2014, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.